We're going to begin this evening in Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, we're going to begin with verse 11. We're going to notice the balance of the chapter. Ephesians 2, beginning with verse 11. Paul states, Wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus ye who sometimes were afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were far off and to them that were nigh. For through him we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the buildings fitly framed together groweth unto the holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit." As with every inspired text, Paul's letter to the church of Christ at Ephesus is full of godly wisdom, uh, guidance, and commandments. It becomes clear as the student studies the letter, Paul's purpose in writing was to help answer his prayer for the Ephesians. Of course, his prayer was that they might know uh, what the hope of his calling was, and what are the riches and glory of His inheritance in the saints, Ephesians 1, verse 8. Now in the first half of the second chapter, Paul spoke of the wonderful grace of God as expressed in their personal salvation, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. He then began to speak in more general terms, especially as it related to the salvation of the Gentiles and how they became fellow heirs. Ephesians 2:11 through 22. Of course, that is extremely important as it is directly related to the mystery to which Paul referred Ephesians 3, 3 through 6. Now, it is also very important because it describes each of us in the passage because we too are Gentiles. We're not Israelites. We're not a part of that commonwealth, physically speaking. Also, it makes it very clear to the reader what his or her condition is today, whether outside or through or in Christ. Now, it is a wonderful thought to know, and any who desires can be fellow heirs together in Christ Jesus, and that's what our aim ought to be. That's what Paul's aim was, and that's what he wanted those to whom he was writing to want to be. He wanted them to have that desire to be fellow heirs. And what, what does it mean to have membership in Christ's church? Well, it means to be a fellow heir with Him. And 
And what is required to maintain that membership? That's something that's very important. That's something that most of the world doesn't understand is that requirement to maintain a relationship with Christ Jesus. And of course, there's a misunderstanding on how to gain that relationship. But there is as much of a misunderstanding on how to maintain a relationship once it is gained. There's another aspect of the gospel of Christ Jesus. It makes no difference what one's background is, whether socially, economically, racially, or ethnically. It makes no difference to God what that background is. It makes no difference and, and little notice is taken of the distinction by those who teach the gospel to the lost. No one cares what those distinctions are. But there are prejudices in the world and most people are self-centered and they do view things uh, in relation to themselves, don't they? Uh, Rudyard Kipling once said this, he said, Father, Mother, Me. Sister and auntie say, all the people like us are we and everyone else is they. That's kind of a sentiment that goes on throughout the world. Wherever someone is, a group there says, we're we and everyone else is they. You see, the gospel overcomes that. That's what people who are Christians have in common. But that's the way the most, world, uh, most people in the world think. And, but here's how Christians think and how Christians ought to think. Christians look out at the world and they see souls. That's what we ought to see. We see the souls of people. And we ought to be looking to reach out to those people. And more importantly, they see souls as they are in relation to Jesus. We ought to see the world as it is in relation to God. What does God think about the world? What does God think about each of us? We ought to look at our situation and look at it as, as it is in relation to God. Not necessarily as it is in relation to me. I ought to look at my situation as it is in relation to God. This afternoon I want us to examine what Paul had to say about being heirs together in Christ Jesus. And the title of the sermon is Being Heirs Together. That ought to be the goal of every person. Every person ought to be able to pick up a New Testament, read through that New Testament, and learn how to be heirs together with Christ and fellow Christians. And how can we accomplish that most important task? Well, I want us to begin with the position in which all people find themselves when they're not in a proper relationship with Christ. And all people will find themselves in that position at some time or another. They have to go from that position of being in a relationship... That's not what it ought to be to going to a relationship of what it should be in Christ Jesus. Like the Gentiles during the Old Testament and what Paul mentioned, at one time the Ephesians were beyond Christ. They were beyond Him because they were away from Him, right? Paul said they were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. They were aliens. They were not a part of it. They were something that, that was apart and separate. They were not in conjunction with it, right? They did not enjoy a covenant relationship uh, with God during the days of the old law like we. We're Gentiles. We're not part of that group of folks, right? They were not part of the state of Israel. 
They were not uh, uh, included together with God's people. Now, that word together is a very important word. We need to understand that, right? They were not part of the chosen people. They were not part of that group. They were not part of the promises and covenants. And those promises and covenants were not made to the Gentile people. They were made to God's chosen people, the Israel, the Israelite nation. Notice this too. Those folks, the Gentiles, they were never comforted with these words. Genesis 17, beginning with verse 7. And I will establish my covenant between me and you, your descendants after you, in their generations, for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. Also I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Of course, that was a promise made to Abraham and made to his descendants. But remember this also, and this is the good news, right? Abraham was not a Jew. Abraham was not a Jew. That promise had two aspects to it, right? It was meant to encourage Abraham as his being a father of, of, uh, of many great nations, right? Through his son Isaac, through his grandson Jacob, through his great-grandsons, the patriarchs, the children of Jacob. And that extended through uh, onto those people to whom Paul was speaking to, those Gentiles. Because again, Abraham was not a Jew. He was a stranger. That's where that word Hebrew comes from. He was called a Hebrew. Someone from over there, right beyond the, the uh, Euphrates River. You, re- you recall, he came from the Ur of Chaldees, over on the other side of the Euphrates. He was a stranger. It was a promise that would eventually take the Gentile from being away from Christ to being alongside of Christ. Thankfully, it was given to Abraham. But it was a promise made to Abraham made to Isaac, made to Jacob, and then made to the patriarchs who became the nation of Israel. They had that covenant relationship with God. That was established on Mount Sinai in the Sinai Peninsula. By being alongside Jesus and heirs together of His promises, though, we're given hope. That is something Paul specifically said that the Gentiles lacked in times past, in the long ago, right? having no hope and without God in this world. Let's go back to again to that word together. They were not together with God's people because they were not physical Israel. But what could they become? They could become spiritual Israel, right? They did not have hope because almost the entirety of the Gentile nation was given wholly over to idolatry. They didn't choose to become part of God's people. You see, the old law made provision for the stranger in the gate. They made provision for those who would be a proselyte, who would become a part of God's people. They chose not to do that. God's, all the people were amenable to God's laws. They just didn't have that covenant relationship. It was not through the Gentile nation where the Messiah would come into the world. It was not through them. So they didn't have that covenant relationship. They chose not to seek God. Now, he wasn't without witness in this world, Acts 14, 17, but they chose not to take advantage of those provisions. 
You see, God has always provided a way and an access to Him, but they chose not to accept it. However, when Christ brought the Gentile alongside of the Jew, they had hope throughout their people. And thank God for that. They could be one people, both Jew and Gentile, combined into one body, verses 13 through 16. How was Jesus able to bring a separate people into one body? Well, He broke down that which bound them together. That's our second point. He brought them together because He destroyed that which bound them, right? He broke that. They were bound by the old law. See, the old law had separated Jew and Gentile. He tore it down. He took it out of the way. He allowed His death on the cross to establish a new body. We talked about that spiritual Israel. Now the Gentile could become together with God and be spiritual Israel. Paul said he broke down the middle wall of division. Of course, again, that's the old law, the law of commandments. Notice this, contained in ordinances which once separated the Jew and the Gentile. Now, the denominations of uh, the world today, those who practice the Sabbatarian law, They say there were two laws. You had the the ceremonial law and then you had the Ten Commandment law. That's not what Paul said. Paul said the law of commandments contained in ordinances. One law. You had the ordinances and you had the ceremony. It's one law. It's one law. There weren't two laws. When he'd done away with one, he'd done away with all of it, right? There There weren't two laws. And so he took it all out of the way. We remember what Paul told those in Rome regarding the power of God. He said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation, to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek, Romans 1.16. Why to the Jew first? Well, it was preached there on, on the first Pentecost after Christ's death, after He rose and ascended back to heaven. They were the ones who were given the oracles of God, and they heard that message first. They, they were the ones who obeyed it first. Then it was offered to the, to the Gentile. We see that in Acts chapters 10 and 11. They were all brought together into one body, to the Jew first, also to the Greek. Anyone who wasn't a Jew, it was offered to the whole world. He removed that wall of separation or that wall of enmity between what was once God's chosen people and the rest of the world. Now it was done away. That old law that bound the Jew from the Gentile was done away. That includes each of us, right? Think about that for a moment. Think about that. Without Jesus giving Himself into the hands of the Roman and the Jewish leaders, we wouldn't be here today. We wouldn't be doing the things that we are doing today because there wouldn't be a church for which Christ died. There wouldn't be... Uh, a new institution. There wouldn't be a new chosen people. We could not be together and heirs together with Christ because we are Gentiles. But He chose to do that. He made that sacrifice for each of us individually and collectively. John 3.16 states that, right? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever should believeth on Him or that whosoever believeth on Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Through obedient faith, God has given all people a way out of sin. I mean, because of that, 
He removed that which separated us and reconciled all people to Him. The preaching of peace for those who were afar off and those who were near, he's talking about Gentile and Jew, has allowed us to be heirs together of the promise of God. Heirs together with Jesus and heirs together Jew and Gentile. Throughout the New Testament, there's a fluid message. Anyone who wants can be reconciled to God. That's the good news. That's the good news, right? If you want to be saved, you can be saved. Recall again what Paul told those in Galatia. Galatians 3, beginning with verse 26. Remember, he's talking to Christians. For, all, for you're all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many as you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither bond nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you're all one in Christ Jesus. And if you be Christ's, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. There's no longer the physical nation. The faithful Christian is Abraham's seed according to faith, right? And he preached that same uh, encouraging message every single place where he went. He taught it in uh, Ephesus, Ephesians 2.18. He preached the same message to those in Rome, Romans 8.34. That access to the Father is by one Spirit, the Holy Spirit, Romans 8.26 and 27. One Spirit, one Father, one body, right? We're all one. We're one together. And that's the message that he taught. There's, there is no separation when it comes to God's people. We're all the same. We're members of the one church, the church of Christ, the one for which he gave his life. And we can be thankful for that. Heirs together, according to the promise. And that promise was given... Uh, uh, 3,500 years ago. And he made that possible by extending salvation to those who were beyond hope, those who had been bound by separation. And it happens by Christ or through Christ. That's our third and our last point. Redemption. That may be the sweetest word that we read in the Bible. Redemption. Being redeemed. Brought back. Brought back by the death of Christ. No longer God's people a physical nation, but a spiritual one. No longer does the Gentile have to worry about not having access or being an alien from the commonwealth of Israel. We are spiritual Israel. We are exactly where we ought to be and where we need to be. God has placed us there. He's seen to it, right? Think back to what Jesus told Pilate, John 18, verse 36. He said, My kingdom is not of this world. We're not worried about physical nations any longer. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews? But now is my kingdom not from hence. It was at that point Pilate asked Jesus if he was a king. And Jesus answered, verse 37, saying, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born. That's the reason He came into this world. And for this cause came I into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Now we are fellow citizens with the saints. We talked about that this morning. Having our citizenship in heaven. Who are members of the household of God. Verse 19. Christians, whether Jew or Gentile, are part of a holy temple in the Lord. You know, there is a, there is a congregation 
of the Lord's church in Jerusalem yet today. Now, whether they're faithful or not, I don't know that much about them, but there is yet today a congregation in Jerusalem. I don't know if it's the same congregation that we read about in Acts chapter 2, but there's still one there today. But what is the result of redemption being offered to all the people of the world? It changed everything, didn't it? It changed it all. No longer are we without God in this world. And no longer were the Ephesians without God in this world. God in Christ dwells within each Christian through the Spirit. And the Spirit dwells within each Christian through the Word. Ephesians 5, 18 and 19. And Colossians 3, 16. Right? That's, it's been explained to us by Paul. And we can understand the condition of those who are outside and inside of Christ as we study the Word of God. Without the Word of God, none of us have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. None of us have Christ dwelling in us, or none of us have the Father dwelling in us. We have to have it through the Word of God. Paul told those in Ephesus how all spiritual blessings are in Christ, Ephesians 1-3, right? Nothing outside of Christ is, is a spiritual blessing. We have to be in Christ. He told those in Galatia, uh, we just noticed that we're baptized into Christ. He told those in Rome that we're baptized into Christ, Romans 6, 3 and 4, and that after that we're raised up to walk in a new life. We're on a new path. We're following after the new law. And that's the plan of salvation. An obedient faith, repentance of past sins, confession that Jesus is the Son of God, immersion in water for the forgiveness of sin, and then faithful living, having our sins washed away, being heirs together with Jesus and with each other. And then maintaining that, right? Maintaining that. That's the result of redemption. That's what salvation is. That's what we have to look forward to. There's another result we learn from Paul's message, though. The condition... Beyond God then and the condition beyond God today is the same. There's no hope. There is no eternal life. There's no blessing. There's no fellowship. And no being heirs together of the promises of God. You see, those who refuse God are in the same position of those who refuse God from the very beginning. Whether under the patriarchal dispensation of time, the Mosaic dispensation of time, or even when the church was first established 2,000 years ago. If we are beyond God's grasp, and I'm talking about the blessings of God, it's no different then than it is now. If we're a stranger from the promises and the covenant of God, it's the same now as it was then. There are just simply no blessings outside of where God needs us to be. Even the one who has obeyed the gospel but has not fought the good fight. The one who has not kept the faith, 2 Timothy 4, 6-8. through 8. See, that's a, that's a pivotal statement that Paul made. He had gone through all those years of fighting the good fight, of kept keeping his faith. That's why he said he knew there was a crown of life laid up for him, because he did all those things. He maintained, right? A life in Christ is a life of dedication toward God in every aspect of life. And that is what Jesus expects from His people. Think about the wonderful things Jesus did for the world. I think if we dwelled on that more, it would be a lot easier for us. He fulfilled the old law, ushering in the perfect law of liberty, James 
And He provided a law under which all people can live. Galatians 6, 2. Yes, and we do live under a law today, no matter what other people have to say. And God expects us to abide by His law. Romans 14, 1 through 6. The body of Christ. Notice how Peter describes us. A royal priesthood. 1 Peter 2, 9. Being a royal priesthood, those are some high expectations that God has placed upon His people. And we should always live with that in our minds. I don't think there's any greater place than together in Christ's church and in His kingdom. And we can be heirs together of those great promises of God. But we have to determine where we are in our relationship with Him. Am I a stranger to the spiritual kingdom? Maybe I wasn't at one time, but maybe I have become that way. Am I apart from the promises and the covenant for which Christ died? I think that's a truly sad position in which one may find himself when he realizes he is apart from God. But it is the greatest blessing in the world when we are heirs together, heading in the same direction, fighting the same fight, waging the same battle. If any of us are not here tonight and we're not an heir of the promises of God, we can change that. We can fix that. See, there's a little bit of a difference between being a spiritual heir and being a physical heir. At any moment, we can change our position with God when we choose to. That may not be the case as far as a physical heir is concerned, but we can change that with God at any moment. Through initial salvation, we can change it, but once that has happened and we step outside the light of God, we can always change that through repentance and prayer. If you have need to answer the Lord's invitation at this time, do that as we stand and as we sing.